verses. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them, him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. And may God bless his word. And we'll hand over to Marcus to get started. Thank you. It's good to be with you again. Um, it was, uh, I looked in my diary, it was 2019, August 2019, when I was last with you. Um, it's good to join you again this morning. You look even better from this angle, I have to say. Uh, last time it was from a different angle. There we go. It was, well, when last time I came, it was those heady days of pre-COVID carefree summers, wasn't it? Do you remember those times? Just about? Okay. Well, we're going even further back. If you don't remember pre-COVID, you may not remember Palm Sunday, but there we go. We're casting our minds back to thousands of years ago and the events that we've come to call Palm Sunday. Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem on the donkey fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy from Zechariah many years before. Just to refresh our memories prior to Jesus coming into Jerusalem on the donkey, um, Jesus had spent three years ministering in and around Jerusalem, the neighborhoods, the towns, the villages, the surrounding areas. And on more than one occasion, he upset the religious authorities. He silenced them. He made them look foolish front of lots of people. He made them look powerless and self-obsessed. He's ruffled their feathers. And now in our reading, he makes his way into Jerusalem 
into the occupied city occupied by the Romans. And he does so, and as he does so, all the town, all the city come out to greet him. All the ordinary folk come out and line the streets to welcome him into the city. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem brings about celebrations as people laid down the palm branches and threw their clothes and cloaks before him, shouting, Hosanna, which is the Greek uh, rendering of an ancient Hebrew word. The ancient Hebrew version is related to the Aramaic version, which is Ashana, meaning save or rescue or saviour. Now, this call could be a declaration or a petition. It could be the declaration, God saves, to which everyone would say amen. Or it could be the petition, God save us, saviour, save us. Therefore, while the crowds are celebrating, as we see it, they're not scuffling with the police. It's not one of these modern uh, protests where the police get involved with the, the batons and the shields. They are making a very political statement, a religious statement. And if what they meant by their cries was, uh, save us from our sins, then they might well have an insight into what Jesus is going into Jerusalem to do as we enter into Holy Week. However, and I'm not wanting to be rude about the people of the day then, because I think if we were there, we would not have a clue what Jesus was about to do. Because those closest to him didn't get it. They didn't understand what Jesus was about to go on and do. So I don't think the people then would have known, and neither would we. But just because the people may not have understood what those cries truly meant, does not mean that the religious authorities of the day wouldn't have felt a pinch of defeat in those cries. As all the people faced Jesus and either declare, God save, as Jesus rides in on a donkey, or cry out, God save us, the religious authorities could sense that those cries are being directed towards Jesus, the one who has ruffled their feathers, the one who has silenced them, the one who has made them look foolish in front of people. The crowd shouts, help us, save us, we pray, son of David. And that last phrase, son of David, brings a political cry into the religious arena. The Jewish nation were longing for this another political and religious king following in the footsteps of the famous King David. Someone who would take up his mantle and free Jerusalem from Roman occupation. Throw them out, overcome them. In a great battle, probably, is what they wanted. But let's not allow a good religious or political story to get in the way of a celebration and a praise. People are lining the streets, shouting their praises to Jesus, and as they do so, many in the crowd take off their outer garments and throw them down in front of them. This is highly symbolic. In the Old Testament, our outer garments were what we gave as a deposit. If we borrowed something, we would give our outer garment as a deposit for what was borrowed. It would be a pledge. Exodus chapter 22, verse 26. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset. 
comes out of garments of pledges. Matthew 5, verse 40, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. Pledges and deposits. For the crowd to take off these outer garments and lay them down before Jesus to process over could also be seen as laying their trust in Jesus. Putting a deposit of trust in the one who's riding into Jerusalem. And again, how would the religious authorities deal with that? Furthermore, they're stripping off their security before Jesus, making themselves vulnerable. You take off a layer of clothing, you feel the chill. Not that they would have been cold then, it's likely to have been quite warm. But it's about stripping things off and making ourselves more vulnerable. So the processional crowds are opening themselves up before Jesus, becoming more vulnerable before him, offering their garments as deposits. But in exchange for what? Were their cries political revolution? Were they placing their deposit of trust in Jesus to overthrow the Roman Empire? If so, then maybe when they saw that Jesus was a non-violent revolutionary and had no intention of toppling the Roman Empire by brute force, let alone chasing them out of Jerusalem, perhaps we're not as surprised by the crowds cheering when we get to the cell. Because if all of Jerusalem came out to greet Jesus, then some of those who are cheering on Good Friday were the same ones who were welcoming him on Palm Sunday. Were they misplacing their hope in security? And so by the time they get to Friday, they see that he hasn't toppled the Roman Empire He hasn't chased Pontius Pilate out of Jerusalem. And so now they cry something very different. After arriving in Jerusalem, we're told that Jesus takes a trip to the temple. What could possibly go wrong, you might ask? The Son of God going to the very place that was built for the worship of his heavenly Father. If Jesus walks into the outer courts of the temple, the only place... The outer courts are the only place where Gentiles could go to worship. The outer courts are filled with livestock for sale. Money changers offering good rates to change Roman coins into temple coins, all for a profit. This place of prayer and worship looks more like the stock exchange or the cattle market than it does a place of worship for the Gentiles. And so Jesus turns tables over and chases traders out of the temple courts. And as he does so, he states quite clearly what the the purpose of the courts were for. To draw people closer to God. To be a place of prayer. Not profit and commerce. Many of us will remember the, the What Would Jesus Do bracelet. We may have gotten at Spring Harvest or other festivals. And the answer is always, you know... Seemed to me anyway, what would Jesus do? Well, he'd love his neighbor, be nice, be kind. Well, here's the one text where you can actually say, what would Jesus do? Well, he might actually flip the tables over and chase you with a whip. It's biblical, and it's a possibility. It's still on the cards. Yeah? We don't often think of that image of Jesus, though, do we? But it's right there. He gets angry, an indignant anger, a righteous anger. 
sometimes I think that's okay for us to feel. When we notice an injustice, is to get angry in the same way that Jesus got angry. Jesus has the backing of the crowds as he enters Jerusalem. But as he's done so, and as he goes to the temple, he is, what I would say, is poking the bear. Have you heard that expression, poking the bear? He's poked the bear of religious power, and he's poked the bear of political power. That's what he's doing. And as if that were not enough to stir up trouble, Jesus then continues to perform miracles we're told in our text, as he opens the eyes of the blind and heals the lame in the temple courts. He's awoken the twin bears of political and religious powers. And we know that they're recognized and called to follow. My working title for today's message is Parades and Poking Bears. It may not surprise you. Parades is self-explanatory, but poking bears is actually self-explanatory. You walk up to a sleeping bear and poke it. And then you blame yourself for what happens after that. Although, having said that, I I found out something that amazed me um, only the other month. My family know that I I hate birds. I don't like them. Everyone says they're nice and fluffy and cute. They're not. They're saved people, given half a chance. So leave them well alone in their natural habitat is what I say. Don't don't poke them. But we went to to Norway um, a few weeks ago. Never been before. Um, I'd think twice about going again now I know they've got bears. I hadn't done my research, um, and the chap who was driving us from the airport to where we're going said, oh, there's the, there's the bear sanctuary. Sorry, what was that? A bear sanctuary? So you, you, oh, yes, we have bears here. He then tells me a story about someone who did wake up a sleeping bear. Do you know what happened to the person that woke the sleeping bear up? Nothing. The bear fled. The bear ran away because they're so scared. I still don't like birds, and I still don't want to try that. But there you go. But I think there's something in that, in that Jesus prods these bears, and there is a reckoning to come, but sometimes these bears, which we're fearful of, will flee if we wake them up in God's hands. We'll come to that in a moment. What I think we can learn from Jesus is that some bears need poking. Some bears need dealing with, not to cause trouble, but to free people from the bondage of such powers and, and to unmask the powers for what they are. That they don't actually have claim over us because we belong to God. To free people from these chains and bondage that this fear and power and oppression can have over them. As followers of Jesus, we also need to make our stands against unjust regimes whether they're religious, political, or otherwise. Just over the the past two years with the turmoil of the coronavirus, I think several bears have come into the spotlight for us. I think we probably already knew that they were there, but the recent crisis has brought them into sharp focus. The way in which non-skilled workers were revealed as being the key people throughout the crisis, did you notice that? been reflecting on it now that are we coming out of it i don't know well we may be coming out of the coronavirus crisis and heading straight into a power and heat crisis anyway but reflecting back if you're asked who are the important people that keep society going 
if you have known the most compassion, compassion cleaning, the people who take our bins away, healthcare workers, all these people, the ones who get paid the least in society, are the ones we depend upon the most. What will we do coming out of this crisis? Will we just allow it to go back to being that? Or will we speak out on behalf of those people? Will we stand with them when they're given a pay cut? We stood on our doorsteps and we clapped the NHS workers. Now, rightly, I think it was right to do so. But what will we do moving forward? Because they're still just as important to society now as they were then. NHS nurses, doctors, emergency service, social workers, home care workers, care home workers, other frontline workers who for many years have endured pay freezes and budget cuts because of austerity, whilst other sectors get pay rises. Whilst heads of companies get bonuses and handshakes, what will we do? Will we allow that bear to carry on speaking or will we take it? And all of a sudden we realize it's, it's not the financial sector that will care for us when we fall ill. It's not the hedge fund management team that will mop our brow and intubate us when that's needed. And in the past few years and months, another bear has been highlighted yet again, that of political power and corruption. And I'm not just talking about Russia and what's happening in Ukraine here, but we include that in it. We could name other parts of the world, Yemen, Israel and Palestine. There's been a conflict there for years. Somalia, and not just in faraway places. Within our own political system, there have been and there remain double standards. What will we do about it? Even within church life, there are issues within church life up and down our country, all over the world, that still marginalize people perhaps demonize people or alienate people. Do we speak into that or do we remain silent? What would Jesus do? Remember the flipping of tables and the whips and the spilling oxen? I want to conclude my reflections on Palm Sunday today with some challenges for us. As individuals, but also corporately. I come as a visiting preacher. I don't know what you're facing as a church, if this speaks into that, great. Um, but take this away and apply it to your own context. What sort of a decision do you get to make? Where are you at as a church? Four things I want to say. First of all, what needs stripping off in our lives? What do we need to let go of in light of Jesus? Are some of our tunics that give us nice security and a warm feeling, are they what God wants for us? Or is he actually asking us to take them off and lay them down before Jesus? What is there in our life right now that we need to be stripped off and laid down before Christ? Secondly, perhaps the crowds were right or half right. They stripped off and got themselves ready for action. They made themselves vulnerable to Jesus 
They praised him, but then perhaps at the last minute they flung the whole weight because we know that when they get to the trial, they're shouting as well. Did they lay the tunics down on Sunday and put them back together on Friday? Can they actually let go of those things that they let go of? Lay them there and let go of them. Jesus is saying to us. Third thing, what do we as a local church? Are there things that have become routine for us? that hinder others coming to know God. Because that's what was happening in the temple court. It had become routine to sell livestock and turn them for him. Probably all for a good reason it started. But now it's got to the point where it's hindering other people from coming to know God. As a local church, are the things you do that perhaps make it more difficult for people to know God? Finally, Wherever we see injustice, we need to ask ourselves, what will we do about it? Will we leave it sleeping and having a hold on someone? Or will we make it sound? I wonder if we could just take a few moments of quiet reflection and prayer. Close your eyes. If you already have a cause or an issue on your heart, then you know what God is asking you to do. Or rather, you know what cause God is bringing to you. Now ask God, what is it you want me to do about this? But let's just listen for what God would have us do in the world today where we see injustice. Let's listen for what God wants us to strip off on our lives and lay down before him and to leave there with him. Let's, let's take some quiet time, then I'll lead us in prayer. Jesus, if there is something in our lives this day that is hindering our walk with you, would you help us symbolically to take it off and to lay it down before you? Place our trust in you rather than anything else that, that clings and hinders. Lord, if there is something that weighs heavy on our hearts as we look out at the, the world news or local news, an injustice, would you help us to act? Would you guide us by your Holy Spirit in how to act? Please speak to us what to do. And Lord, we recognize that if we had been there all those thousands of years ago, we too would probably have been caught up in the crowd of shouting praises to you one day then going back to our old ways. Would you safeguard us, Lord? Would you
deep darkness and help us to see through that new dawn. 